We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss for luck and we're on All right. <clears throat> All right, so anyway, last week, I talked to you about, of course, God, and uh, told you really about how God's message to this like church in this city of Laodicea, we told them they were just being lukewarm, you know, blah, mediocre, apathetic, that they had this meh mentality. And I spoke to you out of Revelation 3.15, out of the New Living Translation. And it says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Doesn't it suck when people are like, got that attitude? Doesn't it suck tonight coming in here with no music, no excitement, no color, no laughter, no fun, no applause? But yet we do this every day to God. We do this every day in our worship to him and our praise to him. And also, you know, we, we will talk about other things with excitement, but when we talk about God, we don't do that when it comes time to talking about him and our relationship. So... Uh, tonight I want to talk to you, and um, honestly, show some excitement. Let's all let out a big hoop. <laughs> Woo! There we go. We all needed to break that, you know, just break that. There we go. You know, <laughs> the thing is this, you know what, we really do walk around with this meh mentality. We talked about it last week that there's so few people walking around with excitement and enthusiasm in life. They just have this whole mindset that you just walk around and just be so apathetic and boring and blah and mediocre and just boring. Just boring. It's not how I want to live. Definitely not how we normally do things up here. Now, how many of you guys expected something really cool to happen at any time during that lawnmower? Didn't you expect, like, a bunny to come out or a cat or something? But no, all it was was a mower back and forth. And I'm not kidding, the, the thing went on for seven minutes. And I spared you. It was a, a minute 30, so understand. It was only a minute 30 seconds. <laughs> that could have been a lot longer, huh? Yes. Time passes slowly when there's boring people around. That should be a hint, hint. If you guys are boring, you better get some excitement because you're boring. All right. Um. The thing is about that scripture verse when it says in Revelation 3.15, it starts off and it says, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. The one thing I want to point out with very, very quickly on that scripture is that it says on there, it's a message from God to this church. I know all the things that you do. He is aware. He pays attention. There's a quote from Abraham Lincoln that says, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. And that's true. Because you know what happens? Eventually, we catch up with ourselves. You know, um, there, there's going to be a, a payoff eventually with our actions. What we do will eventually pay off. There's going to be some sort of um, finality that's going to take place. It's just a matter of time. You know, you may have dodged a full few bullets in your life. You might have got out of a situation that was like, whew, that could have been really, really bad. Man, if my parents would have caught me on that one, I would have been in so much trouble. Or the cops could have got me. I, you know, I made it, though. I didn't have that happen. Could be involved sexually with somebody and think, man, I could have got pregnant. Didn't. I dodged a bullet. But the thing is, it's nothing like, other than like a game of Jenga. Do you guys ever play a game of Jenga? You know, eventually you're going to pull that one little piece out of there and the whole thing is going to come down and collapse in a heap. So life is nothing but a big Jenga game. So you can remember that, quote that. Deb quote. Anyway, um, I could point out to you over the years of doing this ministry for six and a half years, people 
that I've seen, things eventually catch up with them. You know, it looked like things are going to be good. There's going to be easy sailing, you know, no problems. They're getting out of one thing after another. But eventually, something usually catches up. And uh, a lot of times, people um, think that they're getting out of stuff. They think they're making it. But then a lot of times, if they really start to serve God or if their parents are serving God, I'm going to tell you the one thing for sure, and Emily and a couple other people can attest to this, God always lets me know. He lets me know these things. And I'm always thankful because there's some reason that God always kind of like points out something to me and makes me aware, and I'm always like, thank you, God. But the thing is, with people, your parents, job situations, police, you might be able to fool them, but the thing is, God always knows. He's always going to know what goes on in your life. You know, there's no dark of night that's dark enough for him not to see what you do and be aware. There's no whisper quiet enough in your life that he's not going to hear what you do. You know, but people, a lot of times, they try to forget that God's really that involved in their life on a daily basis. You know, out of fear that, um, you know, a lot of times they don't want him to know because they're afraid that, you know, he knows uh, that he knows that much about him. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to think about the fact that God's that personally involved in their life or, or that he really cares that much. Some people really think that God just doesn't care that much for them. You know, they think it's that God is this idea that he's up in the sky and that he's so distant and so unaware of our lives and what's going on. And, and God really does care. He's invested in us so personally. And that's because he died. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. If he did that for us, and it was such a personal thing, why would we ever possibly think that he would just completely just lose interest after that takes place? Of course he's going to be personally invested in your life, and he's going to want to know what goes on, and he's going to be paying attention. And uh, you have to understand that you actually do matter to God. You know, I know there's always that laugh and uh, joke about these celebrities going up when they, they collect these awards, you know, and, and they sit there and they say, you know, I want to thank God. And people laugh. and like, oh, like God really cares. I'm going to tell you, God does care. I mean, truthfully, a lot of those people aren't living a life really of uh, real passion for God and uh, really doesn't make much sense. But truthfully, he is aware because God is omnipotent. He's, um, you know, he's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Time doesn't matter. He's always aware of what goes on in your life because you matter to God. You really, truly matter to him. And uh, it may have been a situation in your life, maybe your parents, or maybe you don't even have your parents. You have grandparents, or you have other people in your life that maybe haven't always been there for you. You know, maybe those people have been inconsistent in your life. They've, you know, kind of been hit and miss. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get busy with their life, and sometimes they just don't pay attention to your life at all. They don't really care where you're coming from. They don't care how hurt or upset you are. But the thing is, God always knows. You know, God is aware every day, day in, day out. He's aware of what goes on in your life. You know, if, if anybody that's been here for a while, you know, I mean, I grew up without a mom. I, my mom died when I was seven. My dad was an alcoholic and not around. And I was raised by my sister, who was only 17. And uh, she had young kids. And I went to live with her. And I remember being, you know, it's a young girl. Young girls are very emotional. And there's a lot of times that things are very traumatic. And uh, I remember crying in my bedroom and really hoping that someone would come and talk to me because I really felt like I was very, very lonely very upset and felt like I had no one to speak to because she was just too busy at that point in her life to really give me much attention. But after I got saved and every time I would think back, I mean, I'd read God's word and it talks about that he collects our tears and he keeps them in a jar because he loves us so much and that we matter so much to him that I thought to myself, you know, it's amazing because I never realized that God was so personally involved and invested in my life. Even then, that he saw every single time I cried, that he was aware of every single moment and pain that I had. I just wasn't really aware of it at the time and didn't realize it. But God really does see our hurts, and he sees our pain. And, and you know, scarily enough, this is the part you don't want to think about. Um, he sees your mess. <laughs> he really does. He sees your lackadaisical attitude, your your attitude of not caring and not being passionate in your worship to him and praise to him and he sees all that too see it's a comfort to those who are serving god with passion to think that he's so personally aware it's a comfort you're just like yes he's right here by me but if you're not living a life of passion and you're really trying to outwit him and outsmart him and always trying to pull one over on people 
you're not going to like, and it's not going to be a comfort to know that he's so personal aware and invested in your thoughts and your life on a daily basis. So like I say, Revelation 3.15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So, God, he won't spit us out of his mouth. When we have passion, when we have intensity, when we really do hotly pursue him, we follow after him. And uh, he really wants us to be close. And he's not going to be disgusted with us and, and be nauseated and spit us out at that moment. And he also is not going to be disgusted and nauseated and want to spit you out of, your, out of his mouth when you also don't know about God, when you have never heard about him, you don't understand what he's done for you, when you are cold to him. These people that are walking around the world that have never heard what Christ has done for them, God does, isn't sickened by them. He's saddened by them. He's desperate for them to understand what's going on in life and that he's there for them, but he's not sickened by them. Who he's sickened by is always those people who think they're good enough. Those people who uh, at one point were really passionate and, and hot in serving God and really doing those things, but then after a while have just kind of cooled off and became backsliders. Obviously, he's sickened by people that backslide. He really is. Because people, a lot of times, um, they've decided that there's no need of God, that they think that they have it all figured out, that they can do things on their own, and they think he's not personally invested, you know, that they're in control of their own destiny. So they have this idea thinking, why do I need to serve a God like that? You know, why do I have to be around it? Why do I have to care? And uh, they kind of look at life as what could God possibly give them that they don't already have themselves? That's what they think. They think that everything that's been given to them has been given to them because of their own you know, their own desires or their own work or whatever, not really stopping to understand that really you get what you get because God allows it in your life. You know, people that have wealth have it because God has allowed it. People that have other things that happen in their life, a lot of times things have happened because it's been allowed. So, a lot of times happens with people when they have this meh mentality. What they do is they turn into a chameleon. Do you guys know what a chameleon does? Chameleons pick up the background colors, and they blend in. Uh, years ago, when I was a kid, we had a chameleon. I remember the, it got lost, and I, I honestly think it was found in some sort of closet someday later, probably like hard as a rock. But chameleons will change. You know, they'll pick up colors, and, and they're, they're really an interesting like creature because they really can change the outside of their body to match their surroundings. What happens in Christianity is this happens all the time too. People will be very, very uh, one way when they're around a certain group, and then they're another way, they turn into a different color, and they're just the opposite. And they can be like a chameleon, they can adapt and change color and match their surroundings quite easily. And uh, the world, especially right now, obviously we have this emo you know, kind of thing where there's some people are kind of like, you know, a little bit emotional, maybe kind of like, you know, walk around kind of sad and down. That's my life. I don't need to act that way. Sometimes <laughs> that's my life. But, um, you know, the thing is, though, it's kind of cool, though, sometimes to act like you don't care too much in this world, isn't it? You know, don't look too passionate because it's kind of cool to act like whatever. Doesn't matter. No big deal. And, uh, you know, in our, in our world, I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time making it look like we don't care what we wear. I mean, we spend a lot of time. You know, these clothes, you know, you buy clothes with holes in them and, you know, already all beat up and stuff like that. We spend big bucks and we spend a lot of time looking just so that we look like we never spend any time at all on ourselves because we're not supposed to show that much enthusiasm. We're not supposed to look like we care that much or we're that excited. And uh, it's kind of a weird situation, weird society. There's a sociologist, Tony Campalo, that made the statement that we are caught up at a particular stage in our lives in which we're not only material, materialistic, but worse than that, we're becoming dead as people. We don't sing, dance, or even commit sin anymore with much enthusiasm. And I think that's so true. The world goes out there and they do a lot of things that aren't right, but they don't even, they have a, an attitude of, eh, who cares? You know, even when it comes time to sin, 
They're dull. They're dreary. They're lukewarm. They're just meh. And I, I told you last week how it happens in our faith. I think really what's happened is it's, this, it's just a mindset. It's these people that do this chameleon-like thing. They blend in the surroundings. The church has been pretty blasé and boring and, and predictable, and, and there's nothing there. And people just after a while, they're like, okay, so that's normal. That's what I need to do. I need to act normal. And we just keep reproducing this same boring, pathetic Christianity. And that's why no one is excited and wants it. No one wants what we have. Because most of the people walk around like they're on their deathbed, just waiting for Jesus to come back, and, oh, we're just going to make it. We're just going to keep plugging on. And it's like, man, who wants that life? I want you to know that's not my life. That's not what I live. But it's really sad because that's what's happened in churches. Um, We need to know that this isn't really what God desires. This is what has happened, but it's not what God desires. If you read through the scriptures, there was a passionate um, love affair of following after God. You really fell in love with him, and you served him with passion. And uh, I think what happens with people and this mindset of what takes place in Christianity is there's two things, one of two things. Either pride, thinking that you really don't need God at all in your life, or there's a deception that takes place in your mind, thinking that you can manage him in some sort of way, that you can manage how much you allow him to take part in your life, and then when he gets a little too close, push him back and think, okay, you can come into this part of my life, but no, not there. Don't, don't go there. You know, it's like, God, be here when I'm upset, when I'm crying, when I'm lonely, when I need your help, or God, help me when I'm going to flunk this test, or, you know, here's a car coming. I mean, oh, God, protect me. But when you're in the backseat of a car... You pretend like he's not there and he's not paying attention. Well, it's one or the other. How is God really involved in your life? I say God's personally involved and he's invested in your life and he sees everything we do. But it's how you see it. And the problem is a lot of people think they can manage him all the time. James 1.22 in the message says, Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the world word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are and what they look like. All the time I see this stuff. You know, people begin merely to listen to the word, but they don't do what it says. You know, you hear over and over again that there's a certain way that we're supposed supposed to act as Christians. But when it comes right down to it, it's like, well, I don't want to do that. Because that's going to actually make me have to change. I'm going to have to make different decisions in my life. And uh, what happens is we keep coming to church and we, it's more of a habit than it really is anything else. We don't go because we're excited and want to hear from God. You know, if you come into our Sunday school, you, you've, you've heard me talk about the fact, what do we do to prepare? We spend lots of time preparing in our lives for sports events, for dates, for school but then all of a sudden, a Sunday morning, we come to church and we've spent no time. We don't carry our Bible. We've never asked God to personally speak to us at all, which he is a personal God and he wants to. He desires to speak to us personally on a level. He wants to specifically speak to Luke, Kristen. He wants you to come in. He doesn't want it to be some sort of generic message that goes out to every single person and you just kind of hear this message for the church. He wants it to be specifically for each person and actually touch your heart. That's the God that we have. That's what he's all about, but we don't do that. So we don't, do, we don't prepare. We don't even plan. We just kind of go win service, and we walk out of service, and it meant nothing. It's just become a habit. And I think that's really sad when it comes to our, our faith that we do that. We also don't allow our faith to really change us. We go in and we listen. We hear these messages, and we think, okay, okay, that's true. You're right. Not that you think about it. Yeah. Sam down there? He needs this. He's bad. He needs a change. But they never stop and think, hey, this could be for you too. It's not just for the guy down the street or down the pew or whatever. It's for you too. It's for each one of us to grow and change and challenge ourselves. And I think what happens, sadly, with this mem and tell and this mediocrity, I think it is um, years ago I did a message, and Emily reminded me not too long ago about it that I did this. There's a, a thing what they say about frogs. If you boil up a frog, what you do is you take a frog, you put it in the bottom of the pan, and you put the water in. And they will stay in the bottom of the pan. And they will just lay there, and they, you can turn up that heat, 
and they will just stay there and stay there and stay there until it starts boiling and it just cooks them up. They don't hop out. Because you know what happens? They get acclimated to the water. They just get comfortable. All of a sudden, that water just gets a little warmer, and they're thinking, wow, this feels pretty good. This isn't too bad. It's nothing to make them hop out. You know, it's not like that hot flame right then that makes them jump. They just get acclimated and comfortable. And that's exactly what happens to us in, our, in the world, in our sin. We kind of get this comfortable feeling that, you know what, this isn't that bad. Sadly, until there's something really dire and drastic, we don't ever try to jump out of that frying pan. We kind of just stay there. We keep putting up with it. So I think what happens with this mediocrity and this apathy that takes place in this meh mentality is it happens really slow. It doesn't happen quickly. It takes place over a, slow, a long period of time. You know, if you take an ice-cold glass of water and you sit it here, and, you know, the next, like, six hours later you come back, it's just lukewarm. There's nothing there. You take a really hot steaming cup of coffee that tastes so good, and after six hours you come back and you take a drink and it's like, ugh, lukewarm. The thing is, God just says, you know what, the problem is over time. What have you allowed to take place? What made you start to lose your passion? Paul says it this way, and I love it. Who cut in on you? You know, who cut in on you in your faith? You know, they talk about this is a race. This is a race that we're on, and we're supposed to be really passionately serving and chasing after God. Well, I told you last week, somebody had to change something, because at one point, if you really truly did accept Jesus as your Savior, there had to have been some passion. There had to have been some excitement. I know there was for me. I know I was on my last leg. I knew I was, this is it. I was depressed. I didn't think I was going to make it. I sincerely thought, okay, if I, don't, if I don't change my life, I'm going to die or I'm given up because I can't do this anymore. That's where I was at in my life until it, God made himself real to me. So, I mean, at the point when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, it was all I could do not to be excited and to go around thinking, this is not amazing. I feel like there's hope in my life. I think there's a change that actually really, truly took place. And I was so excited. And I told you what ends up happening, though, is over time, people kind of feed you lines. These, these people that are living these boring, apathetic lives as Christians, they start telling you that, you know, you, I, it's late. You don't, you don't need to go tonight. You know, family's important. You really need to probably spend time with your family. That's what you need to do. And, you know, just spend time with your family tonight. And, you know, everybody wants the break. Everybody wants the pat on the shoulders to think, you know what, you're just as pathetic as me. Stay home so I don't look as bad. That's what it is. It's comfort in numbers. Birds of a feather flock together. Why do you think they want you to be apathetic? Because then they can be pathetic with you. You know what, that's not the way I'm going to be it. I'm not going to serve God that way. I'm just not going to do it. To me, I don't care if God tells me right now I'm going to head across to Israel. I'm going to go if John's going to have to go with me. But, um, you know, the thing is, he says no. I say yes. Um, the thing is, you know what, there, there is this idea that God wants us to passionately serve him. Don't fall victim to this mentality of what has happened across churches across America and really across this world. This idea that you can just be mediocre in your faith, if that's your mindset, it isn't going to work here because eventually I'm going to start prodding you a little bit more, kicking your butt, telling you to get doing something for God. Start serving, start getting passionate. Do something real because what ends up happening otherwise is you just become deceived. And that's exactly what took place in this church in Laodicea. He, they were deceived. It was, it was full of hypocrites, liars. And uh, God can't stand it. Those people had just grown lukewarm over time. The definition of hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that we don't really have. You tell me if that's not true, if that's not what the church has. People that are practicing or professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that they don't even have, the church is filled with those people. They sit there and tell you you need Jesus, but they themselves aren't even following after Jesus. They all, they're not even living what Jesus tells us to do on a daily basis themselves, but yet they're trying to tell you live it. You, you live your life like this. Well, you're thinking, well, it doesn't work for you. What makes you think that I would want that life? See what I mean? You reproduce what you are. That's sad. Because we're not reproducing with perfection. We're not taking that great copy and making these wonderful reproductions. We're taking crap and we're trying to reproduce it, and we're just getting more and more and more crap over time. Also, hypocrisy is pretending to be something you're not or possessing something that you really don't have. Why pretend? I say all the time, if it wasn't for the fact that I truly love Jesus, man, I'd be sleeping every Sunday morning. 
I'd be sleeping until about 8, 39, because that's late for me. And uh, then I would get up and I'd make a nice big breakfast. And then I'd probably go in and watch a movie and read. And probably if it's nice, go build a fire and go sit outside or something. You know, that would be my day. But I won't do it because I passionately love Jesus Christ. I wouldn't think that now. Because God's word talks about honoring the Sabbath, to actually like praising him, worshiping him, setting the day aside and actually like giving him your best at that moment. Because the problem is what happens is we get this idea thinking that the church is supposed to continually feed us and help us and, and stroke our ego and make us great. But the problem is God's word says you bring the sacrifice of praise, which means you walk into the church, no matter if you had a good week, bad week, whatever week, you walk in and you sacrificially sometimes praise even though you don't feel like it because God's in control and you trust him. That's what it's about. So God knows there's a lot of hypocrites that have grown comfortable and would do absolutely nothing to change it. Now I want to read you a little story, and I know you guys know this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. And I want you to think about it in terms of spiritual self because there's really a lot about it spiritually, and we're going to kind of talk about it. Long ago, there was a king who always wanted the latest and greatest for his royal wardrobe. One day, a couple of brave cheaters came to his kingdom, bragging about this new material that they discovered. They said it had magical powers, that if anyone that was wise and had fine taste in clothing, the material would shine with unbelievable beauty. But to anyone who was ignorant about fashion, foolish or incompetent, the material would just be completely invisible. The king was overjoyed. He could look good and show off his wisdom at the same time, so he put the men to work making him a new suit. Finally, the day came when it was time for the king to put on his new suit and parade around in front of the entire city for everyone to see. The whole town had heard about this magic fabric, and they, of course, wanted to see it for themselves, if they were wise enough to see it, of course. In the king's chambers, the designers came in pretending to dress the king. They pretended to adjust his collar as if the fabric were really there. Then they pretended to double-check their measurements and straighten out his royal cape. But deep down inside, everyone, including the king, knew that there was really nothing there. And although the king was entirely uncovered, everyone just pretended to admire his outfit, too afraid to let him know that they were foolish. So here's this king. He's naked as a blue jay, frolicking around the city center while nobody dared to laugh or say a word out of fear that they would be labeled unwise. And as he paraded naked through the city center, everyone pretended to see the beautiful new suit except for one little boy who turned to his mom and said, The king isn't wearing any clothes. But she just shushed him and pretended along with all the others just to believe because no one wanted to believe that they had anything lacking inside themselves. Think about that in terms of the spiritual self. People do this all the time, do they not? Someone pretends to have all these, like, amazing things and people just, oh, yes, I see it too. I see it too. God's real. But yet they really aren't getting it, grasping it, understanding that God is real. Like I say, worship, what worship is. You know, when I tell you guys that there's like, there's three big things that will change your life, and it is honestly, read, your, read God's word every day. You have to. To be a Christian worth your soul at all, you're going to have to read God's word every day. Because it started out in the beginning with the Israelites. When they were taken out of Egypt, out of slavery, God provided them manna. And they were supposed to collect it every single day. And then enough on Saturday that they would have enough for the two days. The thing is this, manna is bread from heaven. This, God's word, the bread. He says it's the word of God is our bread. So we're supposed to every single day collect some, eat some, take some every day. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Also prayer, you have to pray every day because that's how we communicate. That's how we stay close. Every friendship that you have, you know it's only important and it's going to last because you communicate, because you talk to each other. If you didn't spend time talking, it wouldn't be close. It's the same thing with God. He desires to be close to us, so you have to do that every day. The other thing that people overlook every single time, they don't understand, it is so important to praise and to worship God. Because when we praise him, when we worship him, we are telling him that we love and appreciate for everything that he does for us. It's so important in our relationship with him because he wants to see us thank him. That's what it's all about. So when it comes time to do worship, it's not just a time for you to just to sit here and stand here, pretend, sing the songs. Like I say, to sing the songs, just to sing the words, just because everyone else does it, make it personal for yourself. You know, think about what you're saying, because they, like I say, people lie all the time. There's songs I sing, they sing downstairs, I'm thinking, 
I've watched some of these people sing their songs. I'm thinking, ah, I don't think so. You talk about take my life, look through it, Lord. I'm thinking if you're standing there boldly before God, I'd be a little afraid to say that if I was living my life like that because, wow, I'd be afraid. But, you know, we, we say all these things. We don't worship God. We don't praise him. We don't do the things that we're supposed to do. People don't raise their hand out of fear that their neighbor's going to see him, or they raise their hand just because people think that they're, you know, everyone should do it. You know, stop and ask God just to make himself real to you personally. Before you go to church on a Sunday morning, before you come up here, if you don't go to church on a Sunday, before you come here, ask God to personally speak to something, speak to you personally about something today. And ask, make it big, make it big, make me see that you're real. Because God just desires that. He just wants us to be honest before him. So, the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, all these people were pretending that everything was just all good. They thought they were the successful, rich, that they were lacking nothing, that they had everything. And uh, Jesus basically says, listen, you're, you're judging by outward appearances, and that's not going to work. You know, you're actually, can I explain this to you? You're actually critically wounded. You're dying. You're just bleeding a slow death. You don't realize it. Your time is running out. The hourglass is flipped over and the sand's flowing. People don't understand that because these people were neither hot nor cold. They were just meh. They didn't care about growing closer to God. They just were going through the motions because everyone around them was doing it too. Truth is, in your relationship with God, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no middle ground. You don't get to stand still with God at all. You are either consistently moving forward or you're falling back and you're becoming a backslider and making God sick and nauseated and want to throw up. Truthfully. You can't have all this time in the world to think that you're going to finally get on it someday. Time's short. Today's the day. There is no in-between. So we see some of the reasons for these people's demise. They say, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't even realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So these people said that they were rich. I want you to understand, you can never, ever confuse money and riches with the blessings of God. Never. Just because people are wealthy does not mean anything in God's eyes. I want you to understand that. Nothing. Nothing at all. People, there are many, many poor, going-to-hell millionaires in this world. Just because you have money doesn't mean one single thing to God. If you look at the people who followed after God, a lot of them were very destitute and very poor. They had nothing. But God's word tells us different. He says, you're rich in me. You're rich in your faith. You're rich in the things that are going to matter to you someday. But the problem is a lot of people look at this idea thinking they get this perfect job because God loves them. God loves them. You know, I explain to people, like in Sunday school and things, I explain, if, if anything is taking your ideas and your mindset and your, your vision off of God, then maybe look at this as not necessarily a gift from God, but maybe a trap of the enemy. Maybe it's something the devil's trying to do to get you to, like, trip up. Someone that, in something that he can cut in on you in the race, make you trip, make you fall, make you lose your ground. So these, also, these people also, they assumed that they lacked for nothing, that they were on the right track. You know, I think it's really sad when a church or when people in Christianity, uh, even some people in families, will judge themselves by each other. You know, worse yet, when you start judging yourself against your meh friends, good luck to you. Because believe me, you're always going to find someone who's worse than you. You're always going to find someone who's better than you. And the thing is, you know what, you're always probably going to go to the ones that are worse than you so that you feel pretty good about who you are. Well, look at I at least do this. You know, if you honestly, even that even comes out of your mouth and say, if you at least do this, it's not enough. It's not enough in your relationship with God. It really isn't. It's not going to work because that's not passion. God passionately died on the cross for us. Jesus passionately went and did what he did because he loved us. And then we continually, instead of like passionately serving him, we instead go, eh, whatever. This is so contrary to Scripture. Paul, if you look at Paul, I mean, all these people, they say they lack for nothing. If you look at Paul, man, here's a guy that went through everything. Shipwrecked, snake bit, flogged, beaten, robbed, blinded, imprisoned, starved, and yet he is the one who wrote the largest pop, or part of the Bible, the New Testament. 
He wrote so much of it. Here, if he was like so poor and so mediocre, he wouldn't have been used like that. He was like, he went through trial after trial after trial. And there was always something that was taking him down a wrong road. You know, if you look at life and easy going and easy street, thinking that's a blessing. Paul obviously wasn't blessed, was he? But yet God did use him. God tells them, you think you're rich, you have everything and you don't need a thing. But, he says, your true condition is actually that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched because they weren't even able to see themselves as they truly are. You know, like this king. Like this king of the story. You know what? He, didn't even, he couldn't even actually look at himself and see that here I am. I'm walking around naked in front of everybody. Pitiful me. Here I am. And out of pride, was too afraid to say, you know what? You're right. I don't have any clothes on. <laughs> They're not able to say that. And everyone's too fearful to actually admit it themselves too. That look at us. We're all boring. We're all blah. And uh, we have really nothing going on at all. They were in a deplorable state of distress or misfortune. They didn't even realize it. They were headed to hell and they didn't even see it happening. That's what was happening in this scripture. They didn't even see that it was happening. They were miserable because they weren't able to recognize it, but in truth they were actually very uncomfortable and unhappy. There's a lot of people that walk around, boy, you think their life is going great because they put on, they're the best actors in the world. You look at them on the outside looking in and you think, boy, they have the best family. They have everything that they're looking for. I mean, they just look so happy all the time. But the problem is you don't see them when they go home. You don't see how really how they feel. You know, you don't see them in their, their tough times. You don't, happy hour. There's happy hour across America. And you know what? It's the saddest time of all. Because most of the time what happens is those people just go home and they break down. Alcohol is a depressant. If anything, it makes you go home and just sit there and just think, what, what was that? For a couple minutes you laugh and then you go home and you cry because you're upset, because you just tried again to drink away your problems and your unhappiness, and it didn't work. Believe me, I had a a dad that was an alcoholic. Sadly, he was a happy drunk. Most of the time, my dad was very, very abusive and unhappy and unkind. And sadly, when he drank was when he was the only time he was nice. And a lot of times, I remember when he would come in the door when he would be drunk, we'd all wait for it, because you know what? That's when he would pass out money. He would always pass me money and all this different stuff. I remember him giving me 20 bucks and, you know, telling us we can go anywhere, do anything. But, you know, it's sad because it's like I waited for those times. Truthfully, it was really pitiful because I got to the point where I was actually really happier to see him drunk than he was sober because he was a miserable, unhappy person, you know. A lot of times, though, people are really uncomfortable and unhappy, and they don't even realize it. Then they're blind, blind because they're unaware of how they actually appear before Christ. You know, these people don't realize in this Bible scripture that you see, these church in, this church in Laodicea, they were unable to see or unwilling or maybe unable to perceive or understand that they really weren't able to see life as it truly was. You know, that they never, ever received their, their eyesight at all, what God really wanted for them. You know, God's word tells us that those who have eyes to see, let them see. Basically, let them see that God is good. Let them see that he's here to answer and help you, that he's there to answer your, uh, your prayers. They're pitiful because they were not what they thought they were. You know, there's a lot of people that walk around thinking that there's something that they're not. And God actually feels a lot of times when he looks at those people, he just really feels pity, contempt because they're, they're going away from him. I think pity also because he thinks... You're making such a poor choice. Then there's naked. Because they depended upon themselves and not on Christ, they weren't actually clothed in his righteousness. God's word talks about the fact that once we accept him and we love him and we start to serve him, that we put on his righteousness. That means that we're never going to be good enough on our own. Because unlike a lot of religions, a lot of religions will tell you that you are good. Ultimately, you're a good person. I want you to understand that's not what God's word says. God's word says ultimately you are not good. And because we have an evil bent, because our heart naturally desires to go towards evil things, that we need God's forgiveness and we need to clothe ourselves with his righteousness so that we will actually be forgiven and made 
pure in his eyesight. This comes with the free gift of salvation. You can actually have this gift. You can actually not walk around naked. (laughs) You can be clothed with righteousness. And uh, sin obviously drags us down. It kills our motivation. Definitely separates us from God. Definitely. There's nothing worse than, you know what, I know myself, even serving God as long as I have, I I know that when I've done things not so good, when I know my mind has not been where it needed to be, or I know I'm not serving God as passionately as I need to, or I'm not putting the time and the energy that I need to, you know what, you come back and you just think, you feel a little bit uneasy, a little bit disconnected, and a little bit more like obvious that God is like noticing you, almost like you are standing there like, naked. Like, here I am, God. I'm like, I'm not doing everything right. I can feel it. I can feel the difference. So, um, a lot of times our sin will make us lukewarm in our walk with God, and it's really out of our out of our unhappiness, I think, with ourselves and out of our guilt. Isaiah 61.10 in the message, it says, he dressed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom who puts on a tuxedo and a bride a jeweled tiara. So the thing is, God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to understand that he's there for us and he wants to give us so many good gifts. I want you to understand one big thing, that outright hatred of God, a lot of times people have this idea, you know, they just hate God. They hate him. You know, they'll walk around. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed what the new um, slogans that they're going to have all around the buses and the transit places in um, big cities around Christmas time. They're going to have all these anti-God um, slogans all over the transportation stuff. And it's going to be, why believe in God? Just be good for goodness sake. All these different things is what they're going to have out there because there's people who don't believe in God and they don't want us to believe in God. Truthfully, think about it at that time. What a pitiful time to be a person who doesn't believe in God because that is the one time of year that actually people actually talk about Christmas, Jesus. Even if they're really like don't understand, most of them still think of Jesus as a little itty-bitty baby. Obviously, they don't think about the fact that he actually grew up till he was 33 and a half years old and then he died on the cross for us. And it's not a little itty-bitty baby you can manage, but it's a guy that willingly died on the cross for us. But, you know, the thing is it's, it's a shame because there's so much outright hatred of God. You see it all the time. But understand that outright hatred of God and then also self-deception, thinking that you're good enough, both had the same exact outcome. Both are going to lead us away from God and lead us in an eternity away from him. Both. This idea of thinking that you at one point said that you accept him and then think that you can just walk away and be whatever, meh, it doesn't work. It doesn't add up in Christianity. It doesn't at all. And I say I want to give you a good, quick, swift kick in your rear end to get you moving, some of you, because I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired of watching people passionately talk about some other thing, be excited, and then you talk about God, and they're like, yeah, well, I know, there's no really, you know. I'm like, whatever. Get on with it. I really am losing patience. I really think time is getting short because I'm just getting old and cranky. I'm just getting tired of watching it. I'm getting really tired. I don't know. But, you know, the thing is, Christ would either have us, have us be a hot cup of coffee on a cold winter morning, or he'd rather have us be a cold, refreshing drink on a hot summer day. You know, he wants us to be one of either. But when we're just lukewarm or we're room temperature, and we've kind of just sat there and just, blah, we just aren't appealing to him or to others. We're not going to make people thirst for righteousness, are they? When they see us, they're not going to thirst. We're not going to have anything to offer them. They're not going to think, wow, I want to be like them. You know, we, we try to be like people who motivate us and give us passion and make us excited. You know, you know the people in your life who've not been that excited. Do you really want to, you know, I can't wait to be like them. No. So men is a state of being moderate, inferior in quality, just so-so, ordinary, blasé, blah. But this Laodicea church was the same way that many churches are today. You know, they they look successful. On the outside, looking in, they're beautiful buildings. A lot of times they're gorgeous buildings. You know, and it looks good. They have people showing up every single week, and they're coming to hear a message. And you're like, oh, look at People are going to church. And 
you know, most of the time they can probably figure that most of the sermons are probably going to be pretty anemic. They're not going to be that exciting. And, and this is good because that way they bring their friends in. It's not going to be that hard for them to take, you know, if they've invited their friends. A lot of people never invite a friend to church. So uh, the thing is, you know, they, they look at church in a wrong way. They look at church as being a place where they just go in and they become entertained or they pass some time or they get their little shot on their arm like, good for the week, I can go home now and I can be just as crappy as always and just hopefully I can make it to next Sunday where I can walk out of here again feeling like I'm good enough again. You know, that's not what God desired. It's not enough. Not enough. If that's your mindset, man, you are just heading down the wrong trail. You are going the wrong way. It's not leading you to Jesus, and it's not leading you to heaven. It's going the wrong way, and it's going to lead you to hell. Revelation three eighteen and 19 ends with the, in the message. It says, I advise you instead to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. And also buy white garments so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And then buy ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I am the one who corrects and disciplines everyone I love. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from it. You know, when he talks about the fact that, you know, buy gold from me, there's treasures that they say that we store up in heaven. You know, you can put all your money in a bank. Right now, everything's crazy with the, the financial outlook of what's going on out there. People are scared. I can tell you right now, I have no, no worries because I know God will take care of me. Because the thing is, I have stored up treasures in heaven. I have spent time praying about those things and, and really seeking after God. And I do tithe, and I do those things that God's word tells me to do. And I have assurance that I know God will take care of me. Tithe, times might be tough, but he's going to help me get through. So that's what he says. He says, you know, go after him. Search for gold that's been purified. Our faith, it's already been tested God, God already went through so much for us. It's been tested. It's purified. Purify your own faith. Serve him and do it with passion. And then he says, then we'll be rich. Then he says also, buy white garments so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. You know, the thing is, God gives us purity. What our lives look like when we're sinful, there's a big difference between me pre-salvation compared to me afterwards, after I was saved. The person who I was was truthfully dirty and shameful. I was not a good person. I was not as the kind of person I wanted to be. I told my kids, I still, to this day, I can't hardly ever watch videos of my kids when they're younger because I'm, that's not who I am no more. And it just makes me sad to think that's who I was. But God clothed me with a different personality. He gave me garments that are white, pure. He took all my sin and he washed it away. He says our sin is as far as the east is from the west. It's never going to be used against us anymore because we ask for God for forgiveness. Ointment for eyes so that we can see. You know, when we truly accept him and love him, we start to see things in the way that he desires us to see him. That we just don't keep looking at this world and thinking it has so much to offer us. We start to see that this is not, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to go down the same path that everybody else has gone, gone down. I see that there's a different way. You know, and then the fact is that he does correct us and he does discipline us. If he loves us, he's going to make us get straightened out once in a while. Every now and then you're going to get the little slap in your hand when you go to do something. Don't do that. Straighten out. You know, don't do that. My job here, what my job is, is to be here. I love you as all. I want to be here. I want to be your friend. But truthfully, I'm not going to do any good for you if I'm only here to be your friend and I sit there and pet you and tell you you're doing wonderful things when I know that you're going farther and farther away from God. There's no point. There's no point in that. My, my whole idea, what I'm supposed to do with you, is explain to you that this is the truth. Go to it. Serve God with passion. That's what I'm supposed to do. So then he says, be diligent. Turn from your indifference. I pray that each one of you understands that you can't be indifferent and keep making it. Someday you're each, hopefully, if you're, if you're blessed enough, and if Jesus honestly doesn't come back in time before then, you know, you're going to end up going up and, and probably having a family of your own. They say that every generation does less than the generation before, the majority of them. Very rarely are you going to have a generation that comes afterwards where people are going to actually, like, want to do things with passion. Usually it just gets less and less and less. Think about where your relationship, your relationship is right now with Christ. 
Is that what you want your kids to be like someday? Blase, don't care. You, when you stop and think about your life, you might now be really cavalier and think, it doesn't matter if I die and go to hell, whatever. But think about it someday if you don't die and you're still here and you end up having kids and then you think about the fact that you have kids and will someday, you're going to want to see them go to hell? The people around you that matter, you're going to watch them go to hell? Start thinking in long terms. I did a message a long time ago that said, what's your end game? Think things through other than just this step here to the next step. Think through about 20 more steps down the board game here and actually think where you're headed. Be diligent. Serve God with passion. Seek after him. Be excited. Quit being indifferent to what he offers you. Do you ever try? Just try it. Ask God to show you that he's real. Do something. Serve him. Seek after him. See the difference. Some of you aren't going to make it. Straight up, it's not going to happen. God's word tells us that. He actually says very few, very few are going to make it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to fight hard that I'm going to. I'm going to. And then you know what? You can't do it. You can't get there and be in, do it in indifference. It's not going to work. It's going to take a lot of challenge, a lot of hard work, and a lot of passion to make it, to be one of the few, the proud. You're going to have to work hard. So let me pray for you. I really want to challenge you to get some excitement. Do something with some passion. Serve after God. Lord, I just pray that each person that's here, Lord, tonight, um, that you would bless them, Lord, with your presence, that they would actually sense that you're real, that they would know, Lord God, that you are here for them that you desire to get close to them. I just pray, Father, that they wouldn't um, turn their backs. I just pray that there would be some real change that would take place in them, Lord. I just pray that you would speak to them in the quiet times or when they're alone, when they're all by themselves, when they're quiet and they're afraid and, and Lord, sometimes they're just uh, scared to death. I just pray that you would just show them that you're real. I just pray, Father, that you would just help them, Lord, to see that they no longer have um, just the time we don't have the extravagance of time to continually keep turning our backs on you. Lord, obviously your word says today is a day of salvation. We don't know if we have a tomorrow. We don't have a clue if we get another minute. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just help people to understand that. Lord, those who have not followed after you with passion, I just pray that you would get them busy. Lord, those who have never, ever accepted you as their Savior, that they've never asked for forgiveness and they've never truly repented and uh, done the things that you desire. I just pray, Lord, that you would start to work on their hearts and help them to see that there is a right path. And God, I just pray that you would go home with each person that's here. I just pray that you would um, be with them and their families and, Lord, protect them and, and guide them. And, Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to do here tonight, Lord. I just pray that you would just uh, be with each person that's going to lead us in worship, Lord. Help us, Lord, to really, truly ask you to help us when we worship you tonight and uh, just the rest of the night that we have here, Lord. We just thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen.